Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The footsteps that we follow this evening of our Savior in many ways seem like a very far cry, a very night and day difference from the steps our Savior would take at the end of Holy Week, those dark hours of our Savior's passion. For you think at the start of Holy Week with Palm Sunday as Jesus marches triumphantly into Jerusalem, welcomed as a king. The very next day in the temple to drive out the money changers and the sellers in the temple courts. But not everything was so rosy because behind the scenes, the Jewish authorities, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees, they were plotting. They were seething. How dare he do these things? They wanted to kill him or what he had done. But Jesus was not going to be deterred from that, not from the mission that his heavenly Father had set before him long ago, that mission to reach out to the world, to bring that message of salvation, that truth to all people. And Jesus, in spite of the obstacles of that last few days of his life, he would continue to do that all the way up to the very end. In fact, even as he was hanging there with his hands nailed to the cross, Jesus would continue to share that message of God's salvation all the way up to his dying breath. But this evening we come back from that to a moment as Jesus' footsteps led him to some Greeks. And in our account this evening, we see that that footsteps that our Savior took would bring glory to his heavenly Father. Those footsteps that would fulfill all the promises and the prophecies that were given about our Savior. And those footsteps that our Savior would take in order to bring that message of salvation to a world of sinners like you and me. Tonight, we see those footsteps that led Jesus to some Greeks as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew came with Philip and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it continues to be one kernel. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Anyone who loves his life destroys it. And the one who hates his life in this world will hold on to it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, this is the reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said, it thundered. Others said, an angel talked to him. Jesus answered, this voice was not for my sake, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be thrown out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
He said this to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. So perhaps the obvious question to start off this evening is, who on earth are these Greeks? And it seems from their questions, it seems from the very fact that they were looking to see Jesus and that they were in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover, that they had become converts to the Jewish faith. And yet, while they were Jews in the faith, they didn't have all the same rights. When it came to their worship at the temple, they had to stay in what was known as the outer court or the court of the Gentiles. Coincidentally, this was the very court that Jesus had driven those money changers out of and those sellers just the day before. But as they had come in contact with God's word, they had obviously learned the promises of the Messiah. And perhaps they had heard also the news, the reports about this Jesus, this miracle worker who had gone all over Israel performing miracles, including in just the last few weeks, the miracle of raising his dear friend Lazarus from the dead. Perhaps like the rest of the city, they had heard about Jesus parading into Jerusalem, welcomed as a king with the shouts of Hosanna. It had to have been crossing people's mind. Could this possibly be the, the promised one? And if you would take all the dots and connect them all throughout the Old Testament, all the prophecies about the Messiah, this Jesus, this miracle worker, he seemed to really fit the description of the Savior of the nations. And so these Greeks, they, they wanted to see Jesus. So first they go not to Jesus, but they go to Philip, who then defers it to Andrew. Now, both of these disciples had, had witnessed Jesus' ministry. They had seen Jesus interacting, especially with the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. But they had also seen Jesus also minister to Gentiles, those outside of God's people. Now, it's interesting to note that John never actually says if these Greeks ever got to see Jesus or, or ever to speak with Jesus. Instead, we hear Jesus' answer. As Jesus becomes a, a bit pensive in his reply, because Jesus knew what was coming, you can almost think what was on his mind as he understood the, the steps that he was about to take in the next week. Because Jesus knew throughout his entire life he did not come into this world simply to, to be this miracle worker who was going to go around and, and gain fame and fortune and, and always be the center of attention. And Jesus certainly did not come into this world to set up an earthly rule or kingdom, and then to go after every single nation that had ever abused God's people. No, Jesus knew the steps that he needed to take. He knew why he was here, that he was to die for the sins of the entire world. You might even say it was time for Jesus to get busy dying. Jesus says as much as he tells us, the time has come. This was the moment that Jesus had been anticipating, that Jesus knew was coming his entire life. This was the moment that in some ways the world had been holding its collective breath for ever since sin first entered into this world. This was the moment 
that the Savior, the promised one, the Messiah, was going to give his life for the sins of the world. Jesus' fate, in some ways, was already sealed. And Jesus knew the steps that were coming, that very soon he would be betrayed, that he would be arrested, that he would go through this this mock kangaroo court-type proceeding, that he would be spit upon, that he would be scourged, that a crown of thorns would be crammed on his head, and eventually those footsteps were going to lead him finally to that vile and that cruel form of execution there on the cross. Jesus knew all this was coming. But in this moment, Jesus then takes us to a a rather short parable as he tells us exactly how that's all going to occur He tells us of the steps and the final outcome. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it continues to be one kernel. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You see, Jesus here is really speaking about the kind of death that he was going to die, that he was going to eventually be placed into the ground, into a tomb. But as a result, he was going to rise and produce many more who would rise. Because you see, what he's talking about is us. He's talking about the fact that as Christians, when we face our death, we know what happens next. That someday, yes, when we die, our mortal body might be sown right into the ground. But because of what our Savior did, the footsteps that he took on our behalf, it guarantees that that someday we too are going to rise. That we will have a new and glorious body. Our Savior's resurrection guarantees that. And now what our Savior is looking from for us is, is that we follow in his footsteps. Because heaven is guaranteed to us, we should start living like, like we are already there. And in doing so, we're following after our Savior. As we serve him. Again, Jesus reminds us, he says, if anyone serves me... Let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You could even say these are the marching orders that our God has given to each and every one of us. That as we serve him, we are serving each other. We are to be salt and light in this world. Our God is calling on each and every one of us to share that amazing message of our Savior and everything that he accomplished for us. And it doesn't matter even if the world seems to have moved on. It doesn't matter. We are supposed to be sharing that message even if the world will torture us and persecute us and mock and ridicule us. It doesn't even matter if the world would turn against us and and threaten us with death as enemies of the cross. It doesn't matter. Our God wants us sharing that good news no matter what. As we follow in the footsteps of our Savior under not what this world promotes, the theology of glory, but the theology of the cross. Now our Savior, Jesus, knew where those steps were leading him. That's exactly why he came into this world. He knew that very soon he would be suffering the very fires, the the agony of hell for the most horrible sinners out there. 
And as much as it flies in the, the face of our sensibilities, our Savior Jesus came to die for sinners like the murderers and the child molesters and the serial killers out there. But our Savior also endured the agony, the, the fire of hell for those, those sins that maybe at some times we pass off as no big deal. The little white lies or the gossip or the envy or the hatred that we often sow. Ultimately, our Savior Jesus came into this world to suffer the fire and agony of hell, the punishment for sinners the likes of you and me. But in doing so, our Savior was also taking on the prince of this world. He was taking on the ruler of this world. He was taking on the devil and he would defeat him. For Jesus, as he was suffering, as he was going through all of these final steps, he was going to win the victory over the devil and he was going to destroy the power of sin and of death forever. Now again, Jesus knew all of this. He knew all the steps that, that he had to take in those next few days. But even with all that, you never see Jesus stumble, you never see Jesus waver. But in some ways, you do get a sense of the weight of it all. As Jesus expressed, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, this is the reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. But then you go from this, this heart-wrenching moment of our Savior to this, this glorious crescendo as suddenly a voice came from heaven. I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it thundered. Others said an angel talked to him. Jesus answered, this voice was not for my sake, but for yours. Now, as we saw a number of weeks ago at the start of Lent, this was not the first time that God, the Heavenly Father, had, had spoken his approval of his Son. You go way back to Jesus at the start of his ministry, there at his baptism, God speaks his approval. Then you have it at the, the Mount of Transfiguration and here in the last few days of Jesus' life. God the Father was proud of all that Jesus had accomplished. God the Father was, was given glory by every step that Jesus took as he came into this world to fulfill all those promises that had been made. God was proud of his son. For those first 30 years of Jesus' life and those three years of his ministry, but God's name would be glorified again as Jesus would eventually be placed into that tomb. But then the glory. For Jesus would walk triumphantly out of that tomb on that first Easter Sunday. Now all those years ago, those Greeks, they came with a question. Sir, we want to see Jesus. My dear friends, that is my prayer for each and every one of you as you gather together for worship or Bible study, as you gather with friends and family in your homes, around a kitchen table, or, or in your living room, that you have an opportunity to see Jesus. 
But my prayer is also this, that people, when they see you, that they see Jesus. That in following in your Savior's footsteps, you reflect the love and the grace and the mercy of your Savior. The lengths that he went for you. And again, it doesn't matter if it is a time of of war and turmoil or of peace and calm, whether it is a time of, of great blessings or tremendous loss. Throughout all the twists and turns of life, let people see Jesus. And then, my friends, follow after your Savior in his footsteps until the day that you finally arrive in your heavenly home. Amen.